One of my favorite things uh, about the modern world that we live in uh, is that it is really hard, if I have my phone with me, for me to get lost. Um, last night, we had to go to Alpharetta to meet some friends for dinner, and I had no idea where I was going, so I just say to my phone, I say, hey, Google, take me to this restaurant in Alpharetta, and Google says, okay, uh, and then I plug Google phone into my car, and through some combination of Google magic and satellites and cell towers and whatever sorcery exists, um, I get a picture in my car, a moving map that takes me exactly where I want to go. Uh, not only do I have the map, but there's a little blue dot that tells me exactly where I am. Okay, it is really hard for me to get lost. But I want you to think back for a minute uh, about what it was like in ancient times. Okay, back when I started driving, if you wanted to get somewhere and you weren't familiar with the way, you had to go to MapQuest and download a map and then hit print and then take that little map and follow turn-by-turn -turn directions just like the colonists did back in our founding father's time, right? It was harder back then. Hey, but have you ever been in a situation where you were driving and you wondered whether or not you were on the right path? How many of you have been lost before in your car, didn't know where you were, didn't know where you were going? Okay? Uh, I remember the worst time we ever got lost when I, I was growing up as a family. Uh, our family took a trip to Washington, D.C. to see all the monuments and stuff, and the traffic is pretty bad in the D.C. area. Um, and my mom was navigating from the back seat. I was sitting shotgun next to Dad, and Dad was getting more and more frustrated. It became more and more apparent that my mom had no idea where we were on that little map. At one point, my dad was so frustrated, he reached back, grabbed it out of her hands, passed it over to me, and I got promoted to being the navigator in charge of our trip. It was real quiet in the car for a long time after that happened. All right, while, while getting lost on the road can be an inconvenience, in a much more serious way, We've all either known people who have gotten lost on the path of life, uh, or we've been those people, right? Some of us have just been flat out lost, were not on the right road, did not have the right destination in mind where we were going, and we needed a correction, right? And it can be challenging to know whether or not we're on the right path. Okay, it's challenging to know whether or not we're doing the things that we're supposed to be doing and living the kind of life that we're supposed to be living, I'm thinking just Tuesday night of this week, we had a really tough day with my oldest, uh, and Rachel and I, after we finally got the kids to bed, we had a, a sit-down conversation with each other where we were looking each other eyeball to eyeball and said, are we on the right path with this? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Is there changes, are there changes that we need to be making in what we're doing so that we can get to a better place? Because it is really hard when you're in the middle of a journey to know whether or not you're doing it the way you ought to be doing it, Right? Okay, we have spent the last several months studying through the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in this sermon, Jesus gives us instructions for what it looks like to follow him and to be kingdom of God people. He says a lot of different stuff in this text. He says, first off, we're supposed to be salt and light kind of people. Okay, we're going to be the kind of people who are no longer driven by worldly things like anger or lust or dishonesty. Okay, we, if we're going to be Jesus people, are going to be the kind of people who love our enemies. We're going to treat others the way we want to be treated. We will be a people who give and pray and fast. 
Jesus says a lot of things in this sermon about how to be a kingdom people. And now that we're in the last part of chapter 7, as he's approaching the end of this sermon, he uses three different metaphors all answering this question. How do I know if I'm on the right path? Okay, we say we want to be followers of Jesus. We say we want to be kingdom people. How do I know if I'm actually doing it or if I'm just telling myself that that's what I'm doing? Fair enough? All right, so notice what he says. This is 7 starting in verse 13. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. All right, and in an ancient city like Jerusalem, this would have been a readily apparent metaphor for everybody that was listening to Jesus. They had seen narrow gates. They'd seen wide gates. The widest gates at Jerusalem were big enough. You could have carts going both directions at the same time with plenty of room on any side. You had a lot of people coming and going. Uh, there were also gates in Jerusalem that were really small, and you could only fit one person through at a time, only single file. Okay, the metaphor is readily apparent to exactly what Jesus is saying. And so one of the things that Jesus says will help us know whether or not we're on the right path is, and this is number one, write this down if you're taking notes, okay, I'll know I'm on the right path because it won't be what everyone else is doing. If I'm on the same path as everybody else around me, I'm on the wrong path. Okay, you think about it, and throughout history, we don't celebrate people who just went with what everyone else was doing. You, know, you think about our heroes from history, people that we hold up and admire. Uh, we hold them up and we admire them because they had the bravery and they had the courage. When everyone else was going one way, they said, no, that's not right. And they went somewhere else, right? Uh, you think about in ancient Jewish history, a few hundred years before Jesus, uh, you had a king that came into power over the land of Israel, uh, a really bad guy in the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, and he wanted all of the Jews to become Greeks because everyone should be a Greek, Right? And so one of the things he did was try to get rid of the Jewish religion. He did a lot of nasty things. One of the worst things he did was he sacrificed a pig on the altar at the temple in Jerusalem, which if you want to upset a whole bunch of Jews, that's a really good way to do it. Okay, and most of the people were kind of going along with what he was doing. They didn't really know what else to do, but there was one family in particular called the Maccabees, and they stood up and said, we're not going with the flow of what the rest of the world is doing. We're going to do what's right instead. And they raised up the people, and they kicked out the pagans, and they restored the temple, and forever after that, we celebrate Hanukkah okay, as a commemoration of the event when the few people stood up and said, we're not doing what everyone else is doing. Think of any story of our heroes and they have that same characteristic in common, right? Uh, this weekend is President's Day weekend. Uh, and primarily the reason we do that this time of year is it's Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And we celebrate him as a great leader. Why? It would have been a whole lot easier for him to do what everyone else was doing. And yet a bunch of times in his life he said, yeah, I'm not doing what everyone else is doing. I'm going to do what's right instead. Okay? Pick your hero. Uh, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, whoever you want to name, they had that in common. They didn't mind doing what everyone else was not doing. Okay? They went through the narrow gate. You know, for my sons, I'm trying to teach them that just because everyone else is doing something, that doesn't mean you have to do it too. How many of you had your mama tell you, you know, if everyone else jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff too? Okay? And that's not really helpful when you're in high school, but she was right. Right? I want my children to stand up for what's right, not just do whatever's popular. 
Okay, so uh, as we think about life and as we consider where we are as a church and where we're going as a people, we need to look at our own lives and say, am I doing what everyone else is doing? Or am I willing to do what's right in spite of it not being popular? Okay, so think about this. If you work in an office and you look at all of your coworkers, if your life is not different in some way from everybody who's a non-believer where you work, are you really on a narrow path or are you on the broad road? Right, if you think about the way all of your neighbors live, is your life any different from theirs as a Jesus follower than all of your neighbors as a non-Jesus follower? Because I think if we take the teachings of Jesus seriously, uh, we should be a people who are, are, are more ethical, right? We should be more willing to be generous and to give. I think our marriages should be better. I think the way we talk to people around us should be different. Uh, I think our lives should look different. We should be a more loving, a more full of grace kind of people. Uh, the way we talk about and act out and think about things like sex and violence and how we treat the least of these around us, all of that should make us look different than other people around us. And if we don't, are we really on a narrow path? JJ likes it, so I'm good. I feel good about this, right? If following Jesus isn't causing us to look and act differently than what everyone else is doing, we're not on a narrow road. It's really as simple as that. All right, notice where Jesus goes from here. Uh, this is verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer being no, no you don't. Uh, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. All right, here uh, Jesus uses a couple of images. The first one has become ubiquitous ever since he said it, uh, appearing in art and even in our cartoons. Right, you've got that the wolf in sheep's clothing idea. Although the origin and the meaning of that phrase is somewhat in dispute. Um, a few hundred years before Jesus said it, Aesop had a fable uh, about a wolf who put on sheep's clothing in order to get close to the sheep. Uh, so it's likely that Jesus uses a story that his audience already knew or an image that they already knew, and he's using that for his own purposes. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, also, another thing I was reading about with this that I thought was pretty interesting is that sheep's clothing uh, isn't something that sheep wear. Who would be wearing sheep's clothing? It's actually shepherds. Okay, so a wolf putting on sheep's clothing is a wolf who's dressing to look like a shepherd because the wolf wants to lead the sheep where he wants them to go, not where the shepherd wants them to go. Okay? I thought that was pretty interesting too. Uh, either way, that's bad, right? And we as followers of Jesus should beware of people who claim to share God's word when in reality they're acting selfishly and when they're trying to cause harm to the people around them. And then Jesus moves from the wolf in sheep's clothing metaphor. He talks about the metaphor of fruit, right? You don't go to an apple tree and expect to find pears. Uh, you don't go to a fig tree and expect to find, you know, lemons. You go to the tree that has the right fruit. Um, and you don't go to something that's not a fruit tree and expect it to produce good fruit. Okay? And again, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. And this is number two if you're taking notes. Uh, I will know I'm on the right path by my, and also, with, and this is the implication, my leader's fruit. By your fruit, you will know them. Uh, back when I was in school, I had a friend who told me about all his plans for the future. 
And he had all these big ideas. He was going to make all this money. He was going to be really successful. Um, he was this really charismatic guy, and he had a lot of friends, and he was just a really cool guy. I got to know him. He was a really good friend. Um, but the more I got to know him, the more I realized that he was never going to make any money. That he never worked at a single job for more than 18 months. Uh, and his credit was so bad, they wouldn't even give him a debit card at the bank anymore. Okay? Um, but he talked a really good game. And I believed him for a long time that he was going to be this wildly successful guy. Uh, now he's a few years older than I am, and, and in midlife, he's not ever going to make a whole lot of money. Okay? Which is easier to do? To talk a really good game and to sound really impressive or to live the kind of life that actually backs all that up? Right? Which is easier to do? To come to church and sit in a pew once a week or to go out and love people the way Jesus loved people. Right? Uh, which is easier to do? To talk and sing about how much I love Jesus, or to live a kind of life that actually draws people closer to God? Right? Uh, I can call myself a follower of Jesus all day long, but unless I'm actually showing that fruit of the Spirit in my life, I'm just making noise. All right, so uh, two questions that I think all of us should regularly ask ourselves as we consider this, this question of fruit. Uh, and the first one is this, am I displaying the fruit of the Spirit in my life? And we read those earlier, it's about love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, are those things becoming greater in my life? If I were to ask my wife, am I a person characterized by love and joy and peace, what would my wife say? If, if I were to ask the people that I work with, hey, are, are these the things that would really describe my life, what would they say? Okay. Um, and maybe it is helpful for you to ask some people around you, are these things that characterize me? Uh, you notice I left patience off when I was talking about myself, right? Okay. Uh, there are a few of these that are harder for some of us than others, Right? Are these the kind of things that define who I am as a person? Am I further along the road with these things today than I was last year or two years ago or ten years ago? Am I growing in these things or not? If I'm not producing good fruit, I can call myself a follower of Jesus all day long, but I am not on the right path. Is that fair? All right. Number next. I think a second question implicit in what Jesus is saying is, am I following the right path? leaders. Okay, way too often in church world, we have seen someone with a lot of charisma who sounded really good and ended up leading a bunch of people away from Jesus, not towards Jesus, right? We've seen that show before. I need at least three people to nod at me so I know you're with me. Okay. If we can't see the same fruits of the Spirit in the leaders that we are following and in the church that we are a part of, again, we need to make some adjustments, Right? Uh, so currently I'm at the stage of life where I have small children, uh, and as most of you who have had children know, anytime you have small kids, there is a plethora of advice given to you from everybody around you about how you ought to raise your kids, okay? Uh, some of you are in the advice-receiving stage of life. A lot of you are in the advice-giving stage of life, okay? Uh, you get lots of advice, lots of people telling you, here's all the things you need to do to raise your kid. I was talking to Titus the other day just about this, saying, yeah, you're about to have a kid. You thought people told you what to do before. You just wait, Okay? All these people are going to start telling you how to raise your kid. 
right? Here is my one criteria for whether or not I listen to the advice that people give me about how to raise my kids. How did your kids turn out? Right? Because here's the thing. There's a lot of people that give us a lot of advice on how to raise our kids, and I look at their kids and say, man, they raised some really good kids, so guess what? I'm going to listen to what they have to say. Okay, and then there's other people that they raise some heathens, and then they want to tell me how I ought to raise my kids. And I'm thinking, I don't want my kids to look like your kids, so even if what you're telling me sounds right, I'm going to be really suspicious of it because I see how your kids turned out. Okay? You see where I'm going with this illustration? Okay? As we look at our, our church leaders, as we look at the people that we choose to mentor us, as we look at the people that we want to choose to follow as they're following Jesus, the question we need to ask ourselves is, do I want to become more like that person when I grow up? If I can't see the fruit of the Spirit displayed in someone else's life, then I need not be following them as I'm trying to follow Jesus. Is that fair? That all work? All right. Last thing Jesus says in this section, uh, I think is the scariest piece of all. I think this is the, the most terrifying part he says in the entire Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. All right, here's the final point for how we can know whether or not we're on the right path. Uh, I will know I'm on the right path if I am truly following God's will. Uh, last week, I had intended to cover verse 12 of Jesus' sermon, but I had to cut it for time constraints. So here's the verse that I skipped that all of you, I'm sure, noticed that I skipped as we were getting into this morning. Uh, here's verse 12, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. All right, so... At some point in my life, what I want Jesus to do is I want Jesus to ask me this question. I want Jesus to say, David, how many sermons did you preach? David, how many hours did you spend reading books on theology and church work and listening to podcasts and doing all that kind of stuff? Okay? I want him to say, David, what place did you take in your third grade Bible Bowl when you were a kid? Okay? And that's how I want Jesus to keep score. Because I've preached a lot of sermons, I read a lot of books, listened to a lot of podcasts, and I took first place in that Bible Bowl in third grade. Okay? That's how I want Jesus to keep score of my life. But I think if I take the Bible seriously, the one question, the one way that Jesus is actually counting, is the question, did I treat others the way that I would have them treat me? Because you can preach a lot of sermons, you can read a lot of books, you can... Study a lot of Bible, you can win trophies at your Bible Bowl, you can do all those things, but at the end of the day, did we love the way that God loves us? And I think if we're doing that, then we'll know we're on the right path. All right. All right, at this time in our service, we are going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. Uh, this is a time in our service where we want to be here for you as the church. We would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that is going on in your life. Uh, this is, is, is a time where we come together as a family, where we come together before God, where we lift each other up.
Um, Before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.